Matt Sullivan here to remind you to stop putting screens on your gutters. Better to schedule a free estimate with the local experts at Gutter Helmet so you stay off the ladder. Visit GutterHelmetIndy.com. With Gutter Helmet, you'll never clean your gutters again. GutterHelmetIndy.com. It is the Kendall and Casey Show, 93 WIBC. I'm Rob Kevins here. Tony Kennett from Chalkboard Review in for Casey today. So Mike Pence is out hawking some books. And naturally, when you're out trying to sell a book, you go on the uh, the uh, newscasts, the talk shows, the variety of places to highlight some of the more sensational parts of your book. Ooh, you could sell books with that kind of an attitude. Well, you know, I am a, I'm a marketeer, as you uh, are a provocateur, maybe a little bit of both. Here's my question for you before we play a little audio from Pence on ABC last night. Can you name, so let's go back. I think Mike Pence was elected to the U.S. Congress in 2000. Can you name one thing that Mike Pence was responsible for in the 16 years from 2000 to, well, I'm sorry, the 20 years from 2000 to 2020, where you would say the world is markedly different or better because Mike Pence, fill in the blank. Is there anything? I'm talking as a congressman, as a governor, or as the vice president. Uh, I'll say that he was strong on some cultural issues. That's what I'll give him. But there's no there's no crowning achievement for Mike Pence as a congressman. What did he do? No, he was not the in in my opinion, I don't think that Pence was the crowning achievement kind of guy. I never in in my time, you know, following his politics looked and was like, okay, what is Mike gonna do to set the stage? Mike was always a fill in the gaps and and make this a a decent situation sort of guy, at least on cultural issues, which is what that what I knew him for. Right. But but he presented himself as that guy. He was always our moment is now kind of guy and I'm the guy to rise to the moment. But yet his actual record as a congressman, what did he do? He drove up deficits and he voted for ill-begotten wars and he voted for unfunded tax cuts. There you go. That's the criticism laid right out front. As a governor, what did he do? He got a very small, very moderate amount of tax, individual income tax reform and completely embarrassed the state on multiple fronts, whether it was state-run media or RIFRA or whatever, not just the act itself, and even when there was nothing wrong with the act itself, in the case of RIFRA, then he completely embarrassed the state on the way he handled it. And then as vice president, he was a nice messenger for Donald Trump. But what my point in all this is, this is a guy who we have always been, it's almost Evan Bai-esque in the sense, right? Remember Evan Bai was always the next mm-hmm. guy. It will be Evan Bai's turn. And then it was never... The idea of Evan Bayh is clearly by the voters in 2016 when Todd Young thoroughly thrashed him. The idea of Evan Bayh was always greater than Evan Bayh himself based on the fact that he never ascended to the next thing mm-hmm. and he never really accomplished it. See, they're, they're the same guy. And, and that's interesting, though, but be, I don't remember seeing a lot of people in the national GOP walking around claiming as a mainstream point that Mike Pence was the next big thing. I think Mike Pence has always been assumed a supporting cast member. There's nothing wrong with supporting cast members. Some of my favorite characters in a lot of things are the supporting cast. And when Trump picked Pence for his VP nominee, everyone instantly knew why. It was to moderate out the image of Trump. It was to appeal to the conservative Christian crowd. And that was it. It was a supporting cast position. It was not because he had a great field of expertise. It wasn't because he appealed to some uh, 
fancy cultural demographic other than he was to moderate the image of Trump. That's Pence an in- is a supporting character. That's an interesting take, and I was critical of the pick for a variety of reasons. One, Mike, again, the, some of the things we're talking about here, but I also knew Mike Pence never believed in the stuff Trump was talking about, right? Mike Pence was going to lose his reelection for governor. John Gregg was going to boat race Mike Pence because Mike Pence had not done a good job as governor and had brought many national embarrassments to our state. Uh, not necessarily in the case of like Rifra, the law itself, but again, the way he handled the law. And this was a guy who took the first exit ramp that he could find. And it was a great exit ramp. And he was willing to say or do whatever. We all know how Mike and Karen actually felt about Donald Trump. And I mention all of this because now we have this moment where he's trying to sell books to pay for his fancy mansion in Carmel slash Zionsville while not helping any of those poor people that he and his brother left holding the bag with Keel Brothers Oil Company. But of course, that's another story for another time. Um, we don't have time to get into it today. Um, but to act like you're so appalled by the Trump behavior now when you're trying to sell books, when you vouched for it and propped it up and excused and explained it for four years. What Donald Trump did on January 6th is no different than anything Donald Trump did for the four years he was president. And he was behind that the whole way until now that he's not vice president anymore, it's financially and opportunistically expedient for him to decry and act like something egregious happened and something egregious Trump did. So I, I'm going to push back on that a little bit and not because oh, I'm advocating for Pence in this situation, but I am suggesting that Trump's behavior in the first four years of his presidency uh, was or the, the only four years of his presidency. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, in, Trump in, in the first three years of his presidency, I should say, was different in the way that he communicated with the American public than in the last year. There was a market difference in the way that Trump ramped up his rhetoric in year four in going into the 2020 election than he did in his first three years when he was more focused on foreign policy, when he was more focused on a lot of other things other than internal election campaign strategy. And I think that it's within those ideas. He still held rallies. Uh, but other than that, I, I really don't see Mike Pence having to go and kind of excuse a lot of the stuff the administration did. It was more of just saying, well, yeah, he's Trump and he does mean tw- mean tweets, but look at what his administration has done you, for the common American. You mean to tell me you think, and you know Mike, and I, I don't know if you know the, the, the family around him, but you mean to tell me you don't you think Mike Pence and Karen Pence took that job as vice president and they didn't absolutely absolutely abhor Trump from the moment they took that deal? You think they abhor? Ju- no. Do I think that every single day was was basically them coming back into the room and just going? He just said this thing that we kind of have to smooth over. Yeah, I mean, but that's also not an uncommon thing for the vice president. I'm not excusing it. I'm saying that it's it's maybe a little dramatic to suggest that that Mike Pence abhorred Trump from the minute he started working with him. Now, during the end of his presidency, when Trump started to really fall off the rails and start saying crazier things, yeah, then Mike Pence was in a difficult you know position. Does that warrant now Pence kind of running around and going, well, actually, it was always this bad? Whatever. No, I find that a little disingenuous, but I haven't read the book yet, and I'm guessing in this audio bite, you're going to kind of share some of the stuff that he ended up saying. Yes, here we go. Here's a little bit of Pence about Trump on January 6th. Members were barricaded inside the House chamber. Mm-hmm. And in the middle of it all, you can see that the president has tweeted. 2.24 p.m., the president tweets, Mike Pence didn't have the courage to do what should have been done.
It angered me. But I turned to my daughter who was standing nearby and I said, it doesn't take courage to break the law. It takes courage to uphold the law. I mean, the president's words were reckless. It was clear he decided to be part of the problem. Over the course of several hours, you spoke with the acting defense secretary. You spoke with the joint chiefs of staff, General Milley. I did. You spoke with the acting attorney general, Jeff Rosen, with the chief of Capitol Police. Where was the president in all this? David, I was at the Capitol. I wasn't at the White House. And when you learned later that he was watching all this unfold on TV? I can't, I can't account for what the president was doing that day. I was at a loading dock in the Capitol where a riot was taking place. But why wasn't he making these calls? Um, that'd be a good question for him. He doesn't have the guts to actually say what he thinks, just like he didn't have the guts to say what he actually thought for the four years he was vice president. The dude is a grifter. The dude is a political opportunist. The dude got incredibly far while accomplishing absolutely nothing. And here it is right in front of him. But he so badly wants to be president. And Mike Pence and the people around him still live under this delusion that he has a shot of being president that when if you really believe it, say it. He teed it right up for you. We all know what you think of him. We all know what you've thought of him from the beginning. Say it, and he won't do it because he knows politically that would hurt him. I'm going to be honest with you. I think that was the right answer for him to give. <laughs> and here's why. Here's why. You can't have it both ways. There was ways. no answer. No, th- you can't have it both ways here. You can't say that, well, we all think Mike Pence is really mean, and he had every opportunity to come out right now when Trump is in the fall. Trump is in free fall. If there's ever a time for Mike Pence to come out and drop the sledgehammer and just say, Trump's always been bad, and that was the moment that I knew he was irredeemable, and he could have smashed that hammer down, and it, it would not have drawn as much criticism as from those who already hate him. But instead, he did restrain himself. Now, is it was it, am I saying that it was for moral virtue? No. Was it political? Probably. But I'm saying that in that specific moment, I think the riot was a bit much. Saying it was a riot. It was a riot. I was in the loading. It was a riot. No. No. Not a riot. No. However, everything else in that statement, I don't really find a lot of issue with because he's basically, he's being offered the bait on a silver platter. Wasn't Trump that bad? And Trump's like, I wasn't in the White House. Oh, God, but wasn't he wasn't he terrible? I, I wasn't. I was in the Capitol. You, you'll have to ask Trump. And then he's like, well, wasn't he? He's like, well, I think that'd be a question for the president. Now, the lilt in his voice does show contempt, but he had every opportunity on a silver platter to drop the sledgehammer. And instead, uh, I mean, you know, he, he, he just kind of left it more hanging than, than he could have. I'm not saying that speaks to Pence's virtue, but I, I don't know. I think that that particular criticism is a bit much. All right, let's take a break. Tony Kennett uh, in for Casey today. Kevin's here. When we come back, we've got some great audio from Matt Gates talking about what needs to happen if you're going to clean up Congress. This is so good. We'll play it for you. Coming up next, 93 WIBC. It's Kendall and Casey Show. Oh, I see what you did there. I see what you did, Kevin. That's good. Oh, I'm thinking ahead. Yeah. Out of touch, right? Yeah. That's what Congress is. And Matt Gates, of all people, has some pretty good ideas on how to fix it. 93 WIBC, it's Kendall and Casey Show. I'm Rob Kevins here, Tony Kennett from Chalkboard Review, in for Casey today. So, okay, there's some things about Matt Gates that are a little squirrely. He's uh, got some issues. A few. Uh, but 
I think it is safe to say that the United States Congress is filled with some of the most greedy, corrupt, underhanded people amongst our 330 million in this country. I was going to do a fake gasp at that, but I I couldn't even have the heart to fake surprise. I mean, these people do things that if you or I did them, we would go to federal prison for. You mean like Nancy Pelosi's insider trading or Nancy Pelosi's insider trading? Insider trading would be the word I'm looking for. It's how so many of these people go in regular people. And despite making a salary that would give you a reasonable life at best in the greater Washington, D.C. area, they all come out millionaires and it's how bernie sanders has you know three homes and you live the life you live and all these people end up being rich and it's it's why so many people fight so hard to get into washington dc is because of the life they can afford themselves because they've rigged the rules in their favor to make themselves millionaires and matt gates u.s representative from florida has some good ideas on what the next congress should do in order to fix this I believe that no member of Congress, by House rule, should be allowed to accept a donation for their campaign from a federal lobbyist or a federal political action committee. That money all has strings attached to it, and anybody who tries to tell you otherwise is lying. And when members take hundreds of thousands of dollars from lobbyists and PACs, they work for them more than they work for their constituents. And guess what? I intend to offer that amendment on the House floor in January, and I already have Democrats ready to vote for it, maybe even all of them. The second thing I would suggest is that if someone is a member of Congress, they should be prohibited from lobbying for life. Why is it so hard to say that you should choose one side or the other to be on? You're either in the lawmaking game or you're in the influence peddling game. And those who choose to be in the influence peddling game, go ahead. But you should sacrifice that when you get the privilege to represent 750,000 people. I intend to offer that amendment on January 3rd, and I expect that there will be Democrats voting for it. I will also introduce an amendment to have have a ban on members of Congress trading individual stocks. How can we say that that is not something that dilutes our trust in markets and in governance when people are essentially able to bet on the outcomes that they have an ability to somewhat control? Uh, And I expect Democrats to vote for that. And finally, I would observe something that has really worked well in the state of Florida, a single subject rule. A bill coming to the floor should only deal with one subject. I was incensed as a freshman when I had to vote on the farm bill and whether or not to authorize war in Yemen in the same vote. And we could still have broad bills that relate to insurance or education or appropriations. But the notion that we lash all these things together does not serve our constituents and the American people. And I would expect, if we're in the majority, Democrats will vote for my amendment for a single subject rule. I agree with absolutely everything he said. I agree with it 100%. And I also say there's zero chance the corrupt, awful people in Washington allow any of that stuff to become law. Yep, that was three great uh, points that he made. And those three things will all fall completely to the wayside. The individual stock thing was interesting. Again, remember yesterday I said that if you were going to run for office, there should be a personal sacrifice that you are making to serve the members of your community. It should. You shouldn't. There should be no financial incentive to run for office. That changes the name of the game and that changes the motives you will have while in office. It's unfair that congressmen and women get to write the laws that will directly impact the markets and then place their bets in a loaded fashion before those laws are passed. Right. And it happens at all levels. I mean, again, this Thursday, I'm going to have to go waste my Thursday night at the Brownsburg Town Council meeting because these clowns who run our town, despite doing a terrible job and for no reason whatsoever, have decided, well, we're going to give ourselves $5,000 a year raises. 
For what? Well, it'll get better people to run. But you're going to be the one benefiting. No, it'll get better people to run if we pay more money. Oh, yeah, sure. I've heard that argument in education, by the way, and that doesn't work because teachers consistently, good teachers, leave higher paying schools to take jobs at lower paying schools that have better working conditions, more supportive communities, and don't indulge in a lot of the garbage that the high paying schools Yeah, and it's like, and it's like all of them but one voted for it for the first reading. And I talked to a couple of these people and I said, wait a second. There's no requirement that you have to show up to earn the pay increase. Right. And you guys miss a whole bunch of meetings as it is. Right. So how about we attach an attendance requirement like mm-hmm. every other job in order to get paid? You know, that's a great idea. We never thought of that. Okay, so that's going to be offered as an amendment. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll probably do that. Okay, and if it's about attracting future people to run, why don't you write part of the amendment that says none of you can benefit? Yeah, we should we should do that. I didn't think about that either. Bull, you didn't think about it. You got caught, and it's just somebody with a platform who caught you, and these guys probably won't offer either one of those things in the amendment, and they're just going to give themselves... My point is it happens at all levels of government. Everybody has their hand, it seems like, in the till because they can, yeah. because they think they can get away with it. Well, they can get away with it, but I think my favorite part about what Gates you know, brought forward there is that that single subject line requirement. I hate more than anything. For example, HB 1134 in the Indiana House in the last you know season of our wonderful in-session time, uh-huh. uh, I got to watch this education bill be cobbled together with all different kinds of provisions and ideas, and it was this big bloated mess because our state legislators don't want to just pass single subject, very basic one to five page bills that are easy to read, understand, and debate. There's no reason that we shouldn't have that. It makes every single bill live or die based on its own merits, not the strongest part of this bill and the weakest part of this other thing. These massive bloated bills are a great way to hide corruption, to hide ridiculous amounts of spending and bureaucracy, not to mention all of the massive policy changes that are going to impact millions of Americans that have nothing to do with the bill's title in question. All right. uh, When we come back, just for you, There was a fascinating back and forth between Joe Rogan and Matt Walsh on how rapidly wokeism has developed a stranglehold on this society. And we've got some Anna Navarro audio from The View being super demeaning to women. Oh, what a shock. It's coming up next. Kendall Casey Show on 93 WIBC. Some great audio between Joe Rogan and Matt Walsh about how quickly wokeism has put a stranglehold on America. 93 WIBC, it's Kendall and Casey Show. I'm Rob Kevins here. Tony's here. Tony Kennett from Chalkboard Review. By the way, I'd like to point out you two are wearing very uh, festive... I don't know if it's festive the right no festive. no it's not the right word what about what am I looking for here it's like a very upscale type of uh, sweater like I wear a hoodie right they yeah. gave us these hoodies for work yeah. but you two are wearing very it's like something like you'd see a dad at Thanksgiving wear like it's a Clark Griswold <laughs> we're dressed like sweater. yuppies we're like yuppies yuppies yeah. is that it yeah I mean the, it's, it's the sort of the button up sweaters the, the 2000 you, the cardigans yeah the 2013 hipster look yeah. I guess that was in when I was in college and so it's what a lot of us wore very and fancy and it's the same cardigan that I've I've had on Looks it's expensive. from Kohl's it's from Kohl's oh it's Kohl's yeah I shop the deals Kohl's Marshall really? shout out really appreciate you making clothes not expensive you've probably never been to a Kohl's 
I've been to Kohl's. You're very like, fancy. You're 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 uh, European educated. So you're well, European educated. Gross. Oh yeah, Germany, right? Yeah, yeah that's even was, worse. Yeah, in Germany. Uh, but I've yeah, I've been to Kohl's. <laughs> Where do you shop at? Um, I mean. Honestly, like Macy's is pretty yeah, good. Yeah, I knew it. You know, if you want to get like something nice, yeah, you know, I'll I go knew there. Walmart was not in his uh, vernacular when it comes hey, to. Hey, Walmart, Walmart has more. some good polos, like just like for basic everyday wear. If you're going to be outside, Wal- be stuff to look decent. Walmart, Walmart has has upped its clothing game over that the past true. several years. Yes, yep. they absolutely have. All right, uh, that was just <laughs> apropos of nothing. Sorry for the delay on that. Let's get to this audio of Joe Rogan and Matt Walsh from it's Daily Wire, right? It's where Matt Walsh. Yes, yeah, he's, he's at the Daily Wire. Uh, having a great conversation about how wokeism kind of started as this thing that oh you're overreacting if you're objecting to it you're making too big of a deal out of it and within really less than a decade it has now encompassed everything and everyone go ahead well when jordan peterson first started talking about compelled speech and compelled use of pronouns I, rem- I remember people thinking like why do you care about this this is like such a small issue with a marginalized group of people like let them have their identity and use the pronouns they want and you know this is like what was it 2015 2016 and I remember his warning, and I remember many other people like this is going to spill over. Like this, if you can enforce this on a professor, and if you can enforce compelled speech, because Canada doesn't have the same free speech laws we do in America. Yeah. And if you can, like, where does it go? How are you compelling it? Well, it means through violence, or through police, or through the the the, the fear of being arrested, the fear of having your job taken away from you. Like this is literally what happens when you use laws. To compel people, like you have to have some sort of a punishment if they don't they don't follow through, if they don't follow your orders, and this is what he was worrying about. And I remember at the time being like, I hope he's wrong. Like I hope it doesn't get that big. But now here we are, seven years later. Yeah, and he was right. Because there's also a difference between telling people they can't say something, which is what free speech suppression usually is, uh, and that's bad enough. But then telling people that they that they have to say something, yes. compelling them to actually say something, putting words in their mouth and telling them that you have to say this. Um, and it's not just, it's not, it's not, you know, pronouns, it's not a small thing because when you, when you use the she for a he, uh, you're not only being forced to say something, but you're, you're being forced to affirm and acquiesce to a claim that you don't agree with. You're, you're being forced to express a belief that's not yours. I mean, it's like, uh, it, it's not much different from, you know, a, a dictatorship forcing someone to profess belief in a religion. You know, it's like it's forced conversion, basically, is what it is. Yeah. I thought this was spot on, right? And yep. and you know, I think back seven, eight years ago. It, look, it wasn't something I was paying attention to. It wasn't something that was on my radar. But it's just like anything else the left touches. It must continue to eat, and it can never stop eating, and it hasn't stopped, and now it's everywhere in almost everything. I started studying critical race theory at the graduate level about eight and a half years ago now. And eight and a half years ago, when I was sitting in on classes with Gloria Ladson-Billings because I was working in Governor Scott Walker's office in Wisconsin, I wanted to see how the other side viewed education, I was horrified by what I saw. I was horrified, and I believed at the time that it was still only relegated to the inner cities, and as long as I didn't teach in an inner city school, 
school. It maybe it wouldn't touch me. It was a very young and naive thing. No, I ended up coming back to Indiana and I saw the exact same garbage infesting small rural schools and every other kind of school they can touch because to so many of these individuals, it is their entire religion. Everything in their life is based on the affirmation they get from preening and posturing over these nonsensical woke terms and this weird new hierarchy they try to build themselves. And it's pathetic. It It's so... It is so sad to see an individual who has devoted their entire life to getting affirmation for using a specific set of pronouns or flying a specific color of flag or, you know, talking about how important it is to be a transhumanist dog affinity loving helicopter. And I, I don't understand how for so many we just put on the horse blinders and said, sure. oh, it's not happening. It's not happening. It's not happening. It's just the, uh, what is it? The uh, slippery slope fallacy. Well, we're here. Well, and think about what happened with you at IPS. And, you know, you had the audacity to come out and say, look, this is what you were teacher at IPS. For people who don't remember this, this is kind of how you ended up on our radar, mm-hmm. was you were teacher at IPS. You had the audacity to say, look, this is what your kids are learning. Critical race theory is a thing. It is real. And IPS's response, because you had the audacity to tell people what their kids were actually learning, was not to say, yep, you know, we're doing it. And if you have a problem with it, I guess their school board elections do something about it. They shut you up. They threw you out. Well, and it wasn't even just a case as though I was one teacher in a classroom. I was the science coordinator in charge of every science teacher in the district. And so I was in dozens of classrooms a week. How'd you get that and job? I, uh, How, with your politics, did you get that job? I, to this day, I still don't know. Like, <laughs> there was a guy at one point early on when they found out that I was an education commentator. They were like, who, not only does Tony need to be fired for tweeting out, rest in peace, Rush Limbaugh. Uh, and that was, <laughs> that was an honest to God HR meeting that happened. But this, this uh, math coach also said, the person who hired him needs to be fired how did this conservative how did this white man get on this staff and i was like dude go ahead and say it louder i guess all right i've been meaning to ask you this for the whatever year and a half we've known each other of i've no no idea how ips of all places agreed to hire you i'm thankful they did but go ahead i didn't mean to cut you off no no not at all i mean there there was a time when i was really investing all of my energy and resources into trying to make education better i wanted to get to a point where i was teaching teachers how to use data-driven methods i know crazy data-driven methods to be better teachers to close some of the literacy gaps particularly in the Hispanic community, which is something that I've always been very passionate about. And what I saw through the critical race theory framework was screw Hispanic kids. They don't exist. They're not as important as black kids, except the policies that were put forward to aid black kids actually hurt black children more, hurt black families more, ended up hurting anyone that they touched. And whenever I pointed this out, I was it was hushed. It was quiet. Oh, no, no. Actually, you don't understand because you're a white person. You can never understand this. It's like the kids can't read. What's there else is there to understand? The kids need help. We're not helping children. And so for Joe Rogan and Matt Walsh to kind of come to this consensus finally and Rogan to admit, hey, it is that bad. Yes, some of us have just been saying this for seven or eight years. What else are we right about? Yeah. And is a big part of it for guys like Rogan, and I think to this to extent of Bill Maher, and I, I, I compare this to say myself, not that I'm comparing myself to Joe Rogan, but I've always said what I've always said, and I've always been what I've always been. And there will come a point, like every other person who's ever been in this business, where the bell will toll for them. Either you're told your services are no longer needed, or you expire, or whatever. My life is not this. This is my job. I love my job. I love what I do. I love our audience. But I will not... I went into this business. I went into this job here saying... I will, I will not change who I am in order to keep this job. So when, it, when the time ends, the time ends, and I'll go. But so many people, like it's like a Rogan 
a lot of the people he hangs out with are the sort of people who could potentially turn on him. Bill Maher, same thing, right? Like he helped create the monster. He is the Dr. Frankenstein in the equation. And they recognize if somebody doesn't get a handle on this quick, they're going to come for me eventually. And they tried with Rogan. They've already tried it once with Rogan. Yep. And you're even starting to see this with Chappelle a little bit too. Like Chappelle's recent shows have been getting more and more conservative in rhetoric. I mean, in his last show, he's walking around praising Trump for like a full segment of his show. And it's wild to see. But I, I'm interested above all of these things, looking at the individuals who are, are saying, oh, it's not happening. It's not happening. And they refuse to look at point blank evidence that suggests not only is it happening, but the individuals that are pushing this stuff around are now saying, oh, it, it's good. It's a good thing that it's happening. It's important that we're, you know, se segregating our children by race. It's important that we're cutting kids' genitals off. What a horrible place to be in in society. Perhaps you should have gotten on the maybe it's wrong to diddle kids train sooner. It's wrong to sexualize children. It's wrong to racialize children. This is not a partisan issue. This is a bipartisan standard, or it should be a standard in this country, and it's not. Uh, before we get to break, I'm going to play this audio. It's from Anna Navarro, who is just horrific, and she was on The View. And I, wanna, I want you to listen to what she says about Republican women, and it's no different than the comment they made, The View made last week about the, the roach spray. I mean, it's just they are just so awful to Republican women. It shows they don't actually care about women. They just care about leftism. Go ahead. I have to say I love bright. Tiffany's dress. I couldn't pull it off, but that was beautiful. Tiffany so, looks fantastic. They used to always come down on her as she, she was the unattractive Trump. She was the one. She, she was the cute Trump. Mm -hmm. like, she was the cute Trump. Honey, she she just, and she Twitter. just married an actual billionaire, not one that A has real to borrow one? billions from the Saudis. <laughs> you see? Maybe we'll see his taxes. She's winning. <laughs> Tiffany's winning. Okay. I, I think they. I think those Trump women look like a box of Jordan almonds. <laughs> so can you imagine if they had said that about the Obama women? Like if they'd have made an equivalent comment about them? I mean, again, keep in mind, just a week ago, Sonny Hostin said that it's like roaches voting for raid, like women voting Republican. And yet this is okay and this is fine because you say it about Republicans. I mean, this is a very common behavior for progressives. They they say, you know, they call, progressives will call black individuals who vote Republican, they'll call them Uncle Toms. They'll call them a number of other horrible racist slurs. Uh, they call Cubans who vote uh, for Republicans white adjacent. They take away their Hispanic heritage and say, well, actually, you're white. You're not even Hispanic. Uh, and you see this even in Indiana. So Amy Neeling, a failed Indiana candidate that got beaten to death by Tony Cook in that election in 2020, um, she has been going after all sorts of individuals on, on the Indiana right. She posted this meme portraying all women's crisis center volunteers as these horrible, ugly, awful people. I mean, this is just who progressives are. They like to claim that they you shouldn't talk about how they look. You shouldn't talk about what it is that their appearance shows. But then they're the first person to go after anyone who votes for Republicans' appearance. It is the most base level of hypocrisy. Tony Kennett in for Casey. Kevin's here. I'm Rob. When we come back... Someone in the U.S. turned 115 years old. Can you believe that? Oh, is it Nancy? <laughs> we'll talk about it coming up next. I mistakenly, during the break, told uh, Kevin it was Neil Young's birthday, and then I realized the post about Neil Young's birthday was three days ago. 
Yeah, that's close enough. Kevin's like, no excuse needed to blaze them, Neil Young. <laughs> it's the uh, Kendall and Casey show. I'm Rob, Kevin's here. Tony Kennett in for Casey. So we have an oldest living person in the U.S., and they just had a birthday. Yay. 115. That's old. This uh, woman, uh, Bessie Hendricks is her name, lives in Iowa with three of her daughters. So they're like, the one is 90. Uh, I don't know if that's the oldest or the youngest, but to have three living kids and you've made it to 115, those are some good genes right there. I really like uh, the the moments when they start doing the interviews with this person and they're like, all right, what have you been doing you know, for the last six <laughs> years? And if I ever get to be that old that someone's asking me how I made it this far, I'm going to make something up really stupid. Yeah. Like, I eat pine cones every day yeah, like, just is, to mess with people. Because there's no rhyme or reason to any of it. I saw this one person who was like, I have a margarita all the time. Oh, and- I drink a Dr. Pepper all the time and my doctor said I would die, but I outlived him. <laughs> <laughs> Look, is there some benefit obviously to healthy living not smoking you know reasonable amounts of alcohol kevin pay attention reasonable amounts of alcohol don't drink an entire case of guinness in one setting um the but but by and large a lot of it is just the gifts you get from from god above because like you said there's some people who i've never eaten anything other than fruits and vegetables and they're you know gone at 65 and there's some people vegans are so sad i drink uh you know i drink margaritas or whatever and they're you know 100 years old a lot of it's just a good blessing from the good lord above that's right i'm here for a good time not a long time that's my motto by the what is that i'm here for a good time not a long time yeah um <laughs> i like that that's just for you she was born in 1907 there have been 21 american presidents during her lifetime that poor woman that so poor, <laughs> that's just <laughs> yikes uh what in the world is go? You like soccer. I know nothing about soccer. I do. I I enjoy playing soccer. Uh, I enjoyed like the U.S. minor league soccer. Uh huh. Um, Did you get I, booted out of the Indy Eleven? Weren't you something with them, and they uh, booted you out? Yeah, they were very unhappy that I was conservative. They they really didn't like that I, I was part of an affiliate group with them for a while. Um, but that you that's, weren't like on the team. You were like oh, a fan gosh, of no, the team. Heaven, no, I was just a fan of the team. Yeah. Oh, and, and they were they were that mad that you were a fan of their team. They have some people who are very 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 to the left in the Brickyard Battalion. And like oh. they all bring rainbow flags to every uh-huh. game. They're so excited well, about it. Speaking of that, the World Cup is beginning here soon. In Qatar. Yes, of all places. And the U.S. has decided to be super woke and they're screwing with the American flag on their uniform or the colors of the. What's happening? So uh, Qatar is one of the Middle Eastern countries in which it is illegal to practice homosexuality. Uh It is illegal uh, to do a lot of things that Western culture has embraced over the last 20 or 30 or 40 years. But they got the tournament. Yeah. It was and given to them. Yeah. So they selected that. Right. So they got the World Cup this year. And so the U.S. in noble and amazing and bold and heroic protest, they've taken the U.S. flag or the, the U.S. flag logo for U.S. soccer, which is a shield. Um, and then it says U.S. at the top. And then at the bottom, uh-huh. they're like the red and white stripes from right. the American our, flag. Our nation's colors. Yes. yes yeah. You know, uh-huh. our flag. Sure. Well, they have taken those red stripes and they've changed them to the pride flag oh. and then also a brown stripe because, oh. you know, BLM. Oh. So we're going to Qatar. And we got to tell everyone, guys, we just we're so proud of how we're going to lose in the first two games. Oh yeah, I was going to say USA is not good enough to make those sort of statements, are they? Like, if you're the best team and you're going to steamroll everyone, I mean, it's still yeah, ridiculous. Then, then make whatever statements you want because you're the best. You can just say scoreboard, right? 
but we don't have the scoreboard. Why are we never any good at soccer? I was talking with you about this yesterday. What was the guy's name? There's always some great U.S. player that's supposed to be the next great thing. Adu, Freddie Adu. Was that his name? Am I right on that? Am I in the ballpark? Yes. He's supposed to be the great player, and then that never panned out. Why are we never any good at soccer? Well, women are good at soccer. You need, you need. Well, I mean, unless they're they're playing men. Uh, <laughs> have you seen Have you seen that? Like when the U.S. women's soccer team played, they scrimmaged a, a team of fifteen year old boys, and they got like destroyed no. fifteen to three. That's a thing. Yeah, and the same with the Australian team as well. Men's soccer is that much better than women's soccer. Yeah. Oh wow. I mean, the people always talk about oh equal pay. Why don't right. you know women's soccer make as much as men's soccer? And it's like because well people don't watch it. Yeah. Right. Anywho, that's another topic but for another why, time. Why are we never any good at soccer? Well, Why do we always lose in the first round of this thing? Well, first of all, because many of these individuals play in very competitive environments their entire life. Uh-huh. Like their entire, from the moment they are born, they are playing soccer against other people who are also going to be playing soccer their entire life. That is right. what they do. They devote themselves to it. We don't. There are other sports oh. that take up the American... Uh, what we watch soccer is growing in the united states i've been hearing that for 30 years it hasn't grown that much because we still stink well i'm not saying it's logarithmic was, i'm not a, saying it's a j curve and I, like tomorrow it's going to be on every kid, channel it was, everybody's going to be playing soccer in 10 years and here we are still losing in the first round of the world cup nothing's changed <laughs> well that's everybody the be playing soccer football's a thing <laughs> of the past we're being 10 years old hearing that hey great job today thank you thanks for having me man he's tony kennett that's kevin i'm rob stick around Tony Katz, coming up next. Have a great day. You're listening to 93 WIBC.